G'day guys, welcome to the Noobsphere Podcast. You've tuned in for a cracker today guys. Kevin Glenn, former owner of Mantis Spearfishing. Very interesting dude. Forrest Galante's friend and Forrest said he's the only person to shoot a marlin in California waters. Uh, very cool guy, very wide ranging conversation. But if you're new here for the first time, you're probably wondering, what the hell is this? A spearfishing podcast? That's exactly right. It's interviews with spearfishing experts, authorities, and characters from around the world. People who froth on the spearfishing lifestyle maybe nearly as much as you do. And uh, I hope you are a person that loves spearfishing. It's a fantastic lifestyle. As reflected by a couple of shout-outs today, Oliver says, Shrek, would like to put it out there to the new Spear community that from the 1st of August in 2022... In New South Wales, the bag limit for Eastern Rock Lobster has increased to three. It's been a long road to get the increase, 28 years in the making, but a credit to the community and the representatives who have stuck the course and presented the management measures for both commercial and recreational fishery. The biomass increase can support the recreational increase, and it's about fair access to the community resource. The fishery as a whole is an excellent example of what can happen when you have recreational and commercial sector working together. Good science, management and compliance. Cheers, Ollie. Fantastic. Love hearing good news in fisheries management and um, perfect example of when it all works. Um, so that's a fantastic result there for New South Wales Sparrows being able to up their crate take to three lobsters, um, I believe it's per day. Check out the rules for more details. These do they do change, and uh, it's rare that you hear one changing in our favour. Uh, just due to the world we live in, unfortunately. So a great result, and well done, guys, for all your hard work on that. Um, a quick review for the podcast. Andrew said, "Amazing show, love it." Fantastic. Love good reviews. Wherever you listen to the podcast, you can leave a review. If you're on Spotify, I think you can only leave a, sp a star rating. But thanks to the 50 or so legends that have um, left reviews there. Guys, I hope you are going to the Blue Water World Cup. If you're not, check it out, palapasventana.com. It's July 10th to the 14th, 2022 this year. Um, so when this episode drops, it's only going to be about a week away. Um, they've got a fantastic competition there it's a fantastic venue in general um a really cool place to check out a great bunch of guys and you can check out my interview with those boys uh probably a couple of months ago now but jeepers we had a wild ride hey i want to get into today's interview it's kevin glenn former owner of mantis spearfishing this guy's really cool really thoughtful uh had a very like i said wide-ranging conversation and i thoroughly enjoyed it i hope you do too if you do Jump on patreon.com forward slash noobspiro, sign up and join more than 50 legends powering the Noobspiro podcast. Here we go. Let's get into it. Kevin Glenn. I can't wait to get into today's episode brought to you with proud partner adreno.com.au. The Noobspiro podcast has been partnering with adreno.com.au for more than 100 episodes and these guys are awesome. They have uh, huge spearfishing mega stores all over the country. You can shop online or in store. Use the code Noobspiro whenever you spend more than $200 and you will automatically save $20. That's right. Use the code Noobspiro online or in store when you spend more than $200 and save $20. Bucks. I love these guys. I remember the first time I brought a spear game at adreno.com.au down at the Wollongabba store and Adreno have been a huge part of the excitement that I have about spearfishing. Check them out at adreno.com.au use the code noobspiro to save. 
Neptonics was founded in 1996, making trigger mix in a barn in the Santa Cruz mountains. Solid gear that works was their founding principle and it still rings true today in every pull of a Neptonics trigger, in every snap of a Neptonics band, and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish. Got a great deal, you can use the code NOOB10 to save 10% off anything and everything at neptonics.com. It's solid gear that works, equipment you can rely on. Save 10% off any order at neptonics.com when you use the code NOOB10. G'day Noob Sparrow community, thanks for joining me today. I've got uh, a guy, Kevin Glenn, who has done the full circle in the spearfishing world. He's the former owner-operator of Mantis Spearfishing, been in and around um, spearing a long a long time. Forrest Galante uh, recommended you, Kevin, and he, he says you're the only person to shoot a marlin in California waters that he's aware of. So big raps there from, uh, from Forrest. He had a lot of good things to say about you. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I've been making that claim since it happened and and kind of been waiting for somebody to be like, no, you know, <laughs> this guy did it back back in the 60s or whatever. And to, so far, nobody, nobody's been able to point anyone out that did it before me. So I'm, I'm still making the claim, but maybe one of your <laughs> listeners can prove it wrong. But the uh, the funny thing is the the state record is still unclaimed because I didn't get my fish to a certified scale. So oh, maybe... Wow. Uh, Maybe somebody else made the same mistake as me in the past. But. Where did you catch it, and how did how did that all eventuate? So it was off the coast of San Diego, and it's it's funny because this was back before. Like now, anybody that's super familiar with California spearfishing knows the last like five years we've just had these crazy runs of bluefin tuna yeah. showing up off our coast, and before that, like if you knew somebody that shot a bluefin tuna off the coast of California, it was like, it was a big deal. And if it was a 40 pounder, that was amazing. And now it's like, you don't, you don't go far without running to a guy that shot a 200 plus pounder. But wow. anyway, that being said at the time, like we didn't, we weren't going out with like these full bluefin tuna rigs. Right. So we, I was mostly running a rail gun half the time, not a float or I'd take a little crab float. Um, <laughs> But I had I had had this in my mind. I was like, I'm gonna get a marlin. Like this this is a goal of mine. And the guy driving the boat used to work on a commercial sword boat. So we had this whole thought that like we're gonna see one sunning on the surface, and then like I'm gonna jump in and try to approach it. So we had been doing this like trip after trip after, and never never even saw one. And then uh, one morning we go out, and the other two guys are like. One suits up a little after me and the captain's like, he's still putting his wetsuit on and there's a, a mola mola swimming around like the big ocean sunfish. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to jump in with a camera and just mess around with this guy for a minute. So jump in the water with the mola swimming around and see a school of bonita underneath it, which are like our little, uh, yeah. I don't know if you guys tuna. have them over there, like little tiny tuna. Mm. Um, they, over here, they're kind of considered a trash fish, but Personally, I think they make like oh, just awesome the best sashimi. So, yeah, yeah. So I was like, "Hey, call over to the boat." I'm like, "Hey, can you guys toss me a gun?" And it's funny because we had a full like marlin ready gun <laughs> on the boat with big floats, and then guy tosses me a Rob Allen because I'm just gonna plug his little bonita. Um, and I had a I had a little crab float on it. One of those little foam floats this big, oh, and wow. I I swim over to plug one of these fish, and all of a sudden 
like they just they just turn on and they just start zipping by me like so fast i'm like covering my face because i'm worried one of the, i've never seen these tuna move so fast and they're blasting by and i'm expecting a big mako to come in chasing them and uh instead of a big mako it's a striped marlin all lit up and just hammering these fish oh wow and he comes in and it comes swimming down beneath me and I'm, i look at my rob out and i'm like well this is what I've got. <laughs> I might not get this chance again. So I dropped down and sure enough, he saw me and like slowed up and just put the brakes on just long enough. And I took my shot, uh, got super lucky, just hit it right in the brain and the lights just went off and oh, swam wow. up to the surface. Yeah. And how big was it? So, uh, like 200 pounds. That's phenomenal. They're, they're, yeah. I've only seen video of them. They, they look amazing when they're all lit up. It It is unreal. And it's like, I wish you could, you know, preserve that color when you, uh, like I would have gotten that thing mounted for sure. It's like, it, it, I mean, it looks like they have lights inside them. It's, yeah, it's an impressive sight. It's something to do with the, the relationship and, and then being in their environment at the time too, isn't it? It's just something that you, you're yeah. never even going to be able to capture with an 8K video camera, I think. No, definitely not. It's, it's just the, also to not only see one, but to see it in that like predation mode where it's it's on the hunt like i mean i i can probably count you know on my fingers and toes just the number of times i've seen things like active like big fish actively hunting in the water and it it's just so cool every time but to see it with a fish like that is impressive you'd be stoked it was uh, a striped marlin and not a, a 15 foot mako because then you probably <laughs> yeah. had a little a little uh, a brown friend in your wetsuit yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've had some run-in with some big makers out there in the past, and yeah, yeah they're uh, they're cool sharks. But man, when when they want to move, oh. also seeing seeing one of those guys move quick is a little unnerving too. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not you're not doing anything about them. I did hear you mention your little crab float. You must have been disappointed with your little crab float because I see here from uh, you, you've got a, a mechanical engineering float design. That you put in the Marauder Marine <laughs> spearfishing float design. So it sounds I, like I you've, do. you've been in and around engineering and and sp- thinking about spearfishing gear for a while. Man, yeah. So that was the uh, that was the start of my career in spearfishing, if you will. It was so I went to a, a Cal Poly, which is an engineering school here. Well, I guess it's an everything school here, but it's known for its engineering. And got to the point where we had to pick a senior project and. I just didn't like anything on the list and had just, you know, discovered spear fishing a few years before and just gone deep down the rabbit hole. So I was like, what if I could do a spear fishing project? So I went and, you know, talked to the head of our department and said, Hey, can I make my own senior project? And they're like, if you can, if you can find a company that will say that, you know, they're like on board with this, then sure. So I, I uh, managed to get on the phone with Rob Allen and said, Hey, can you, can you tell them you're sponsoring my senior project? Like, I don't need any money. Just And so Rob was a very good spirit and said, sure. So wow. all of a sudden I was doing a, a yeah, inflatable float for Rob Allen, which never went anywhere. But it was, it was a heck of a fun project, and we made a pretty cool float, although I don't know how practical it was. But the whole idea was basically you'd have, you know, just a small float on the surface. And then if it got pulled down below about 10 feet, some CO2 cartridges would deploy like a much larger float to stop your fish. So ah. the idea was here in California, we deal with, you know, lots of kelp and junk on the surface. Mm. So it was like, have something small, compact, or like, you know, so you don't have a bunch of giant floats on the boat kind of thing. And then 
it only gets big when it needs to. But that's actually a really sick idea. Like it's really yeah. cool. Um, because it was cool. I I think it would have been uh, hard to make it like commercially viable. It was. Yeah. It would be very expensive to have it, you know, function reliably and yeah. But it's a bit, it it's was, a little bit like it was a, a lot of fun. Like you're part of the world's known for innovation. I mean. Um, Terry Mars, like with the free dive recovery vest, another fantastic yeah. product that yeah, perhaps, yeah. perhaps so Terry didn't... and I are actually good friends. And, ah. uh, while he was, while he had the free dive recovery vest like up and running. So my company Mantis, we were sharing a warehouse. So we were operating the two businesses out of the same, uh, same ah. little warehouse. I've been trying to get that man on the podcast for years. Like um, we, we nearly tee it up and then something happens and like, um, you know, yeah. his, this blue water um, hunting guide, like, you know, these things like the re-release version from a couple of years ago, that's a phenomenal book. Like, um, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll put you guys in touch after this. I know he's oh. been crazy busy the last couple of years building himself a new house, but he's, uh, he's, I'm sure he'd be happy to do it. He's one of the most just generous guys I've ever met, especially, he, you know, as far as the spearfishing world goes. And He's genuinely nice, isn't he? He's just a nice man. Yeah. 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 Oh no. I, we, I met him just through like, he was presenting at like a local club thing and I, you know, just went up and said, Hey, you know, I have your book and he signed it for me. And he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. And then we just got to talk and then like, Hey, you want to go out sometime? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then next thing I know, I'm on like a four day trip on his boat. And, oh, sick. Yeah. Shooting all kinds of fish. So yeah. And you had a, um, you, you've had an unusual route in spearfishing. How do you? Why is it that you know all these famous people? Or you oh, know, like, man. not just famous yeah. within our world too. Because I said I was looking at your mantis spearfishing. Donald Trump Jr. Yeah. follows you on there as well, <laughs> and I know he likes yeah, the spearfishing too. But he's I, very well known. I actually have no idea how that happened, but that oh, yeah. spun into a whole other fun side venture. I mean, um, you know that that guy's a. Uh, a very controversial figure in our country right now, yeah. but he's, he's been uh, the nicest guy to me. And he, uh, he spun off and started his own magazine, uh, called field SOS journal. And it's all like fishing, hunting stories and some, you know, doing some writing for them now too. And like, yeah, I, I honestly have no idea. He started just following me one day and I was like, Hey, this is kind of cool. And ask him if you want a gun. And he said, sure. So sent him a gun. There's all these strange points of synchronicity here all these very well-known people and they're in touch with kevin glenn um it's very <laughs> yeah. it's very well odd. and uh forest forest i knew long before he was famous so yeah. it was kind of funny just you know like getting to know him when he was that that dude that was yeah i'm gonna make you on tv i'm gonna be the next crocodile hunter it's like yeah yeah sure sure and yeah. then like he did next it. thing you know i just got one show and then another it's kind of spiraling and i'm like yeah. man He's actually doing it. I like him. He's a cool dude. Like he's got that. Oh, he's, uh, he's got the right yeah. personality for it too. He's the best. He's one of those guys you always want to dive with too, because it's like no matter how shitty or amazing we do, like we're just we're always going to have a good time. Yeah. You know, he's he's one of those types. So. I had to listen to his podcast. All thing. Uh, sorry, what's his podcast called? Oh, uh, Wild Times. Wild Times. Yeah, yeah. With him yeah. and his mates. Do you ever go on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was another one I told oh, him. I'm like, man. okay, I'm going to listen to one. Yeah. I'm going to give you the sympathy listen, and then yeah. I actually, I, I'm hooked. I think I've listened to all of them. Oh man, it's funny as shit. They have some real good laughs yeah. on there. So yeah, yeah I like it. Yeah, um, in, in fact, I told him too. I had to get on here 
and uh, and set the record straight on that sea bass story. That <laughs> so, oh, that was you, was it? Yeah, yeah. He made it sound like he he was putting in the work, and that's <laughs> that's not the way it went at all. So we, yeah. So you, that was you put in the I work, mean, and he he reaped the reward. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's how it went. All right, set so the record we, uh, straight. Tell us what was maybe like I don't know ten years ago when IUSA came out and said, okay, we're going to split up this records into pole spears and slings separately. And that's, so we all kind of had a little bonanza over here. Like, okay, let's go set some pole spear records. While I saw you had low. one. I saw you and, had one for the yellow tail, the Serioli Lelandis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, well, so that's a fun one. Cause I took that one from Forrest. So <laughs> we were, uh, we had a major, like just bro competition on like frat boys trying to beat each other on all these silly records. But I had been, after the white sea bass one just and it wasn't super high it was like in the, the like 30s of pounds and uh i was like i'm gonna get this and I, I was just struggling like it's a it's a challenging fish to shoot with a pole spear and then like finally one day it just clicked and i started shooting them and the, the very first one i shot was such a heartbreak it was one of those like 60 plus pound fish oh, wow. and it tore off and Forrest is there and he, he watched me tear this fish off and then he went and shot a nice one with his spear gun. And then we're, uh, we're at another spot a few weeks later and I finally like landed my first fish, but it was just a small one. And he's there and shoots one with a spear gun. <laughs> and like he did not pick up the pole spear once until the day he got that record. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was one of those days I convinced him to go. He's like, he's, him and Hong go, nah, like the weather looks terrible. <laughs> and I'm like, let's just go. Like we know the fish are in, like we got it. We got to go for it. And, uh, so I finally talk him into going, we get to the reef and it just, it's just like chocolate milk brown. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not even putting my wetsuit on. <laughs> so I'm like, well, we're here. We, we, you know, spent an hour boat ride getting down here. I'm jumping in. So I hop in and just immediately plug that fish, get out. I'm all excited. Like, yes, I, I got it. This is, this has got to be it. We weigh it like sure enough, it's gonna be the record. And then he's, I was, he's like, "Did you see a bunch?" I'm like, "Yeah, they're everywhere." He's like, oh, "Okay, I'm gonna jump in." Oh. So he finally puts his wetsuit on, jumps in, and I was like, "I was like, don't take your gun, take a pole spear, you know." And I'm razzing him. I'm like, "Be a man. You've, you've got a full freezer. Shoot with a pole spear." And I, sh- I should have never done that because he listened, and then right away shot one with a pole spear and beat my record. Oh. So yeah, that's that's how I had the record for uh, 15 minutes on what That's cool, man. That's that's yeah. that's cool. So you're mixing in all these funny cir- um circles there. Um what's the diving community like there? Like in general, like uh It's it's really great. It's uh <clears throat> What's the big clubs it, and stuff? It's So probably probably the biggest club and I I, would, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think the oldest club is the Long Beach Neptunes. But then there's the uh, Fathom Ears. It's another pretty yep. big, uh, older one. The closest one to me that I've kind of dipped in and out of is just called San Barbara Freedivers. And then we, we tried a few times in Ventura, like my little local town, to start one up. But never had anybody dedicated enough to actually run it and keep it going. So, yeah, it's a lot of but work. We've got a real solid dive community just in town. You know, we've got the uh, our like harbor here in my little hometown is as close as you can get to our local offshore islands. So it's a good place to be based. Channel Islands, the Southern Channel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So we have we have eight islands in our like Channel Islands, and the the four 
northernmost are like Channel Islands National Park. Okay. And that's like the closest is one of those is 11 miles from where my boat's parked. So wow, that's perfect. Pretty nice. Yeah. And what winds um, can you dive on? Um, I mean, it's all weather dependent. So we, we can have a pretty nasty channel crossing depending. You know, we get some pretty good wind and pretty good swell going through there. But for the most part, I mean, it's like you can dive them all year round as long as, you know, there's no storm or anything rolling through. Okay. And so is it just fetch uh, in the passage or is it is it proper swell getting in there? Uh, you get some proper swell coming through. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, it can get pretty pretty big. Mm. So. Yeah, cool. So anything under 15 knots, so you boys are just whoosh, over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, nice. It looks like you've got some incredible structure there, like in terms of um, both above and below the surface. Is that, is that, is that a fair yeah. summary? It's it's so cool and it's uh I've been living in Southern California. I like I'm not a I'm not a fan of crowds. So it's it's not necessarily the best place to live, but man, like you get out to those islands and it's it's like you're you know, in California five hundred years ago. It's just it's cool. I mean we've got like bald eagles now that have made a recovery and oh, like wow. it's just like all our islands are, you know, not really there's one that has some people on it, but like most of them are not inhabited and basically uninhabitable, just rocks shooting out of the water. So, and, uh, I mean, our, our kelp beds over here, you know, I've dove a lot of places in the world and they're just, they're very unique and cool. And urchin barrens, is that something you're seeing a lot of in Southern California? Yeah. Unfortunately, that's a, that's a real mess. And like a couple of my favorite dive spots over the last few years have just been just completely decimated and like, over here, you know, our, our fish are used to those kelp beds as structure and home. And like when those things disappear, just all the life disappears. And it's, yeah, it's, it's sad to see. Is it your gut feeling? I know Forrest had strong feelings about not really shooting sheep's head. Do you feel like that they, they, they predate upon urchin? I mean, I'm not saying that they're yeah. the solution to the problem, but, um, is that, I think, I think they're a hundred percent. They, uh, you know, they, they chow down on some urchins. That's definitely, if not their main source of food, you know, up there. So I hate seeing guys get out with big stringers of sheephead too. I'm I'm not as against shooting them as forest is. I'll take one or two a year, maybe. Um, they're, they're not the best eating fish. Like if you just throw them in the oven and bake them, it's, yeah. it's, it's not a great texture, but they make phys- like phenomenal ceviche. So yeah. every now and then on a slow day or like in winter, I'll, I'll plug one, but I usually opt for, you know, the five pound model. I'm not chasing the, the 30 pound sheep head anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You can, I can see why people do it, particularly, you know, in their first few years of spearing, like um, they, yeah. there's so much character in those fish. They look just cool. They're Yeah. They're so cool looking. And, and it's also, you know, it's, it's probably the easiest fish you're going to be able to shoot a 30 pounder when you're learning. Like, so it's, it's tough to, you know, when you're, plug and reef fish it's they're usually the biggest fish on the reef so it's a it's a tough thing to push new guys away from shooting them forest sounds a little bit snobby doesn't uh shoot um <laughs> like a sh- um calico bass and some of the inshore yeah, vessels forest is snobby forest has the uh the the problem of he goes to all these exotic places for work yeah and, uh, you know it's like oh i just was shooting some like malabar grouper in the in Madagascar or whatever, yeah. and then yeah. gets home and is like, oh, I'm going to pass the Calico. It's yeah. like, yeah, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I would too. 
don't know. Like it's, some people never lose their stoke for like their roots spearfishing, you know, the filthy inshore water oh, and yeah. swell and yeah. turgid conditions and cold and, you know, miserable. I, I will say, though, he has not lost any of the stoke for our uh, – like our, our our main three, you know, it's the white sea bass, yellowtail, halibut. Like he'll – he still goes nuts for those. Great news, guys. Adam Stern has made his freedivingfamily.com courses available at a discount for the Noob Spiro community. If you get on freedivingfamily.com, use the code SPIRO, you'll get 20% off any course. There's a bunch of sick courses on there. There's an equalizing uh, stage one. There's an equalizing advanced techniques um, video there. They're two of my absolute favorites. If you have any problems with equalizing, go to freedivingfamily.com. Get Adam's course and use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course. Check it out at freedivingfamily.com. In the world of freedive spearfishing, there's no magic breathing technique that's all of a sudden going to get you down and shoot massive fish at depth and holding big bottom times. But there is a way to do it safer and smarter, take down more fuel to maximize the time that you have there. Learn at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted with Ted Hardy from Immersion Freediving. If you take down more fuel, you can stay for longer. Learning to take a bigger breath is not such a big deal. Ted breaks it down for you with a free online course at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Take down 20 to 30% more air just by learning how to take a full breath. Again, learn how to do it free at noobspiro.com forward slash Ted. Function first, pretty design second. Penetrator's dual action water channeling rail provides more efficient action and similar fins by directing more water flow down the blade. This eliminates wobble, meaning that you get way more bang for your buck, for your energy buck. Visit penetratorfins.com, use the code NoobSpiro to save $25 on every pair, on any pair. That's correct, my friend. Use the code NoobSpiro to save $25 on any set of Penetrator blades at penetrator.com. Okay, so Mantis spearfishing, you, you were telling me you started designing some roller muzzles and then got mm-hmm. lost in the, in the, down the rabbit hole basically and just woke up in Wonderland owning a spearfishing company. Is that a good yeah. summary? <laughs> yeah. I mean, essentially that's it in a nutshell. It's, uh, I started out kind of like just tinkering and basically was like started with pole spears and a lot of it had to do with this, like, oh, I'm going to go set some pole spear records. So I was just. I was just making pole spears because I was like, nobody's making quite what I want. And then started making them and quickly realized like there's 30 companies selling pole spears and there's only so many ways you can design a stick with a rubber band. So like I had what I wanted, but sales were slow. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then the, kind of the same thing happened. I started tinkering with roller guns and it was like there at the time, I think it was just MVD that was selling like, a roller like adapter that you could you know plug into any other rail gun and build your own roller gun and i was just really unhappy with what they you know had on the market at the time so i was like hey i can i can make something better than this so started going down that road and you know wanted to keep it affordable and i think i made a pretty big splash with the roller muzzle and that was kind of what earned my brand all its reputation and then took it from there did wetsuits it was kind of just everything everything i needed i was like oh i'll just start selling these so yeah that's how Um, every that's how every good business is born isn't it you scratch your own itch yeah yeah, exactly that's how i do this podcast i just go who do i want to talk to and they're like if the listeners like them too then i go boom they're on 
and uh, so yeah, that's easy. Yeah. So I, in fact, like the wetsuits was so nice because I, I end up, I'm hard on my wetsuits, and I probably replace them at least every year if if I don't tear them up before then. So it was it was really nice having that. Now I uh, that I've shut the company down and like I'm I'm on my very last mantis wetsuit, and I'm like. Oh. Oh man, I haven't I haven't bought a wetsuit in eight nine years. <laughs> I'm like I don't even know who to go to for a wetsuit anymore. I'm surprised so, you. I'm. What do you do for work now? Uh, I design uh, children's toys. Wow, have you got your yeah. own company or are you working for someone else? No, no, I work for uh, a big U.S. based company called Lakeshore Learning. So they do like uh, we do mostly like educational um, toys and that sort of thing. So it's, you- it's been a real fun change of pace since I've got a. Uh, you know, to yeah. a toddler and a baby at home. So I said, yeah, I was, they're I, pretty thrilled. You're scratching your own itch again. You just yeah, making yeah. stuff for your kids. Yeah. yeah, I tried to just keep. Uh, I I love all things product design, and I kind of just keep trying to find things that I enjoy, and you know, keeps keeps me interested. I'm surprised you haven't been s- snapped up by an, another spearfishing company, um, at least partially, just to do, or even if they just adopted some of your product lines. Yeah, you know, it's uh, I've had a, a few people kind of come and kick the tires on purchasing the company, and I was hoping some some young gun with a lot of energy would take it over because I I hated like it was it was so bittersweet closing the doors on that, but um, yeah, I was I was just getting too tired. It was always a, a side business for me, so and I I never you know had any employees. It was always just me, so it was. Just got to a point where I had two kids and I just didn't have enough oh, time for it. So. 100% get it, man, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm in a similar situation. But um, opportunity costs become something when you've got kids too, doesn't it? It's something you think a lot yeah. more about. Yeah, all of a sudden your time becomes a lot more valuable. Yeah, well, you start putting a premium on it and you have to. It's mm-hmm. just part of growing up, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, yeah. Um, well, so what's your spearfishing lifestyle look like now? How often are you getting out? Um, I try to still get out, uh, like once a week. Nice. Um, yeah. I feel like that's a, that's a solid, solid amount for me if, if I can pull that off. So especially, you know, I, I just finally got my own boat, let's say about a year ago. So that now it's like, if I can get out to the islands once a week, that's, that's a real good week. So nice. And have you got regular crew of dive buddies? Yeah. Like it. We mentioned Forrest, if, if, if and when he's in town, the problem is his flexibles or his schedule is so all over the place. He's not very flexible. And then a uh, couple couple other just local guys that I hang out with regularly. And awesome. Kind of have the, the A crew and then the B crew for when those guys aren't available. Yeah, 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 yeah. At least you're honest about it too. Like I yeah. think we, we, we run like messenger groups, you know. And um, oh, nice. you don't stay in the A group if you drop like two or three no's in a row. You get you get dropped <laughs> to the B group, and go. someone gets promoted. Yeah. Have you been? Have you experienced that? Oh, I'm sure. I, I'd like that's probably the fastest way to get out of my A group for invites is just being unreliable in general. Like, it's just, I don't have time for that. Oh, it's not but really unreliable. Also- it's more just like, hey, I'm going spear on Friday, and you have your first choice group, and then. 
If you get too many no's in a row, you're like, oh, this guy's too busy. So yeah, yeah. And then and then someone from the B group takes your spot, and they're actually a better <laughs> diver than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. Okay. They, they yeah, bring they bring too. they bring snakes, lollies, and you don't. I, I you know, like <laughs> something like that. And then you're all of a sudden you're you've been you've been downgraded to the B group. Yeah. What is, what is a snake slowly? Uh, over here, a company beer? make them called Allens. They're like a uh, like a confectionery. They're just pretty much sugar, oh. coloured sugar in the shape of a snake. But um, <laughs> they're like the ideal thing to take out on a boat when you got that feral salt mouth from four hours with yeah. the snorkel in your mouth. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And um, someone brings snakes. You're the you're the you're the skipper's best friend. You know. That, okay, that's good. And I'll keep that in mind when yeah. I go to dive in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you, you pay fuel money. You show up when you say you show up. Um, you yeah. consider it and you help around the boat. These are all good things in a, in, uh, in, in dive crew, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I also tried to, like, you know, I spent almost a decade living in this town boatless. So, you know, it bummed a lot of rides on a lot of boats. So I also feel like, Whenever, you know, like the, the A group says no, I usually also try to throw out like a post to like the local dive club and say, hey, you know, oh, nice. anybody without a boat, because it's like, it's kind of nice to pay it forward a little bit. And yeah, nice. Man. Actually, just this last week, I got two two guys out and both of them shot their first white sea bass. So that was like, it's it's so fun to seeing the, the stoke on, you know, like some of us have shot like a lot of those fish. It, I mean, it's never not fun. But like it's really rewarding seeing seeing guys do it for the first time and just the the level of stoke they have. So, so you head out for a day at the Channel Islands. You got a boat of four guys. Um, you're out there for the for the morning, maybe the early afternoon. What's your cooler box look like? What's an average sort of day? You know, a decent day out there Ooh. look like. What are you guys taking? Yeah, so it it totally depends on time of year. So like right now, this time of year, we're we're heavily looking for white sea bass. That's kind of they're just maybe started showing up uh, the last like two months, and now's probably like prime time for them, like May and June. Um, but it's there. So we we fished them almost to extinction in California long ago, back in like the sixties and then had like a big recovery program. Now, mm. like every Harbor up and down the state has grow out pens where they grow juveniles and release them. Nice. So they've made a really good comeback, but they're still often difficult to find. So I'd say, you know, three out of four trips we go and come back completely empty handed or we'll, you know, like give up at the end of the day and go plug some calicos or some other reef fish. But it, on that, on that fourth day, like this last trip, at the limit's only one fish, um, but you know, like the big guy, he had a, a fifty-four pound fish. So wow. we had, you know, three of those in the cooler. So. Wow, that's that's phenomenal. Yeah, and you don't need many yeah. more that size. Yeah. Do you get vermilion uh, down there? Yeah. So Point Conception. So there's like the the Southern California bite they call it, which is like you know it looks like a shark bite out of the bottom of the state. Mm. Everything south of that point. You don't see many rockfish diving. They're all like living deeper. Yeah. Right. But like once you go north of that point, all of a sudden there's just, you don't see anything else but rockfish. Ah. So um, I, you know, started diving in Northern California or Central California. Excuse me. Central California, I guess. Um, 
every everybody here seems to think our state is just northern and yeah. southern. Like, no, <laughs> yeah. nobody talks about central, even though it's most of the state. But um, yeah, so down in Central California, it was like that's kind of cut my teeth on shooting vermilion and you know big lingcod and stuff like that. I follow a page on Instagram called Positively Groundfish, and I'm guessing mm. that's Central California based. But they they do like very interesting uh, micro documentaries with people in the commercial fishing space largely, whether it's um, seafood restaurants or, you know, um, local fishery, uh, local fishermen or whatever. I, f- I find that really interesting. And looking at, the, you know, like their stories are obviously positive recovery stories of the fisheries there. Um, you talked about how white sea bass are in recovery. In your opinion, and I know this is a broad, maybe shit question, um, is the fisher are the fisheries managed well there in general? So I would say California as a whole manages the fisheries very well. I think I think there's a lot of people that uh, would have a problem with that because there's a lot of people that are very bitter on things like the MPA system. So that's where we have like these marine protected areas, which are just, you know, mostly closed completely to fishing. Yeah. There's some that you can take some things, but um that that process uh, was all done through the political system and not through the scientists that work at Fish and Game. So there was a lot of junk science and a lot of emotions involved in that. So I don't think that was done well. But on a whole, I think our, our fisheries are managed very well. And as much as I hate seeing like species closed or I'm I'm kind of always a bigger fan of like let's have tighter restrictions let's let's you know I want my kids to have as good of fishing or better than I've got so like let's protect this resource mm. and I guess I've I've dove in enough areas around the world that don't have good management and seen how disaster it can disastrous it can be so I, I'd say I'd take our our management over most places. Oh. I hear what you're saying, and I kind of agree with you too. I think a lot of us agree with the lofty ideals that some of the people that lobby for these changes, um, you know, they represent. A lot of it's ivory tower thinking, though, and disconnected from real science, and it's a, a lot of it's emotionally driven. When I heard about the thirty thirty initiative, um, I was like, just sounds a little bit like emotional drivel to me, rather than a, a deliberate, you know carefully thought yeah. out and logically sort of planned maneuver. It just sounds like some grab ass title to get a whole bunch well, of environmentalist wannabes on site. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's the problem I have with all things California, I guess you could say yeah. is, so we have this department of, you know, California fish and game or now fish and wildlife. And they have a whole team of scientists whose whole job is to track and monitor these fisheries. And, when we just get out of the way and let them do their job, like they do a pretty decent job. I mean, sometimes they don't have enough funding. They don't have enough scientists, but like they they do a pretty decent job of like, okay, they, they close things when they think they're getting bad. They open things when they're not like, the problem is when you start asking voters to make these decisions, (laughs) it's like, just let the scientists make these decisions. Cause we've got, I mean, we're in California. We've got a bunch of hippies that are like, save the animals. Like, and it's just nutty. I mean, like, we have, uh, I mean, if you look at like the hunting end too, like California's kind of going off the deep end with protecting 
cute cuddly animals and like oh. i mean they're they're overprotecting predators so like oh, no. you know it's like you can't kill a big cat in california they, it got real close last year to them uh shutting down black bear hunting and yep. like so it's like right now we have as many mountain lions killed by fish and game as used to be killed by hunters so rather yep. than get all this conservation money from hunters to kill mountain lions taxpayers we now pay. have to go hire experts Sorry, we're just paying tax money to hire these people to go kill the mountain yeah. lions, and just chuck them in a dumpster, and it's like, so just those emotional, political decisions are just kind of hard to stomach when you see those go through. I think I think it's a lot of people that have got big hearts that are just disconnected from their natural environment. Hundred um, yeah. percent, and and a lot of it's yeah, well it's like intentioned. Every- I don't think they're evil. I just think that they're, they're misguided yeah. and 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 this and and sort of walking in some sort of deception about it. We, we watched too much Bambi yeah. and, and uh, what was that um, fish documentary one? Like, um, Oh, the, oh yeah. This oh is, yeah. The recent one. Sea Spears. Yeah. The, these are, this is what's informing their opinion. And it's like, you're getting a very biased, skewed subset of information yeah. through a very tight channel. And that's what's informing all of your, desires and stuff if you just go fishing for a day or Mm -hmm. jump in the water and go spearfishing and hang out with some people that actually do it all the time you quickly learn like oh okay i know it's not as bad as they say however like yeah some action needs to be taken and this is what you know what what we're observing and it aligns with the science and i don't know it just doesn't seem it just it just seems like with increased urbanization you've got a lot of smart people that are incredibly stupid um, about basic stuff like this, it's it's quite frustrating yeah. at times because it, it drives so much of the decision making. Yeah, yeah. The uh, my on that Sea Spiracy movie, man, I I had a lot of a hard time watching a lot of that. Like it it started off, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. This guy's got an interesting tag, and then it just mm. took that hard right turn to like, yeah. can't eat anything from the ocean. Yeah. But my abs- absolute favorite part of that movie is when the there's like they're showing like a butcher process and i don't even know where and the guy's like chopping up a grouper or something in front of a tank full of groupers yeah and uh he's talking about how like the fish know it's their friend (laughs) (laughs) anybody who knows fish at all just knows those guys are hoping he's gonna chuck a piece of their friend back in there for yeah (laughs) they're they're drooling they're not they're not like oh no not chuck they're they're going give me a piece of chuck he looks delicious have you ever been on the bottom and had like big groper around you Mm mm-hmm they're intimidating. Yeah, some, some diving in Florida with those uh, Goliath grouper, man. Those those things are big. And then we, it, I guess, technically not a grouper, but we've got our black sea bass over here that look like a grouper. And I mean, you know, some of them get five hundred pounds plus. And yeah, I, it's cool because you can swim right up to them. And man, you give those guys a smack, and they'll like take off, and it it, it knocks you back, like just the force of that. Do they make? Water. Is there a big distinctive sound when they move? Like you get a big boom. Yeah, from it's yeah. like. Yeah, big old boom. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I've done it, you know, hundreds of times and it still startles me every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're privy to some stuff that most people aren't, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite species to hunt these days? Obviously, you mentioned white sea bass. They seem to be, seems to be opportunity <laughs> a lot of the time and time in the water. Yeah. I have such a love-hate relationship with white sea bass. They're uh, a lot of our hunting. So... Like I said, this time of year is the best time to be hunting them, but we also get the worst weather in spring. So lots of wind, lots of, you know, like algal blooms and red tide and like 
so it's just, and it's still cold. Like our water hasn't warmed up for summer yet. So it's, it's lots of swimming around in cold, murky water, just waiting for one of these big fish to swim in front of you. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's like just 10 hours of sucky, nasty diving for like three minutes of fun. But, um, yeah, but it, man, when it's on, it's, it's fun. But I, I would say my absolute, oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say, like you said, your big three before you mentioned halibut, yellowtail, and and the white sea bass. Like they seem to involve three very distinct modalities of diving. Like, um, hundred percent. Yeah. So you were going to tell me one of these is your favorite. I'm sure. Yeah. So I would say yellowtail is definitely my favorite. I think uh, it's it's probably my favorite like eating fish that I'm able to get regularly. You know, the the bluefin. You know, I come within strike distance of you know, my town, but not, not as often. So usually it's a lot bigger mission for me. I got to go way offshore, usually drag a boat down to San Diego or Dana point. So yellowtail are like very achievable, you know, it's again, it's a half hour boat ride and I can go chase those guys. Mm. And it's so the opposite of white sea bass, you know, it's like, you're, you're not going to usually do well on yellowtail if the water is not clear and warm. So it's, it's a very enjoyable thing to hunt. And, you know, they're, they're curious so you can work with flashers or, you know, your hand or so it's, it's a much more active hunt than white sea bass. So. Are you finding them on the sounder or are you looking for structure with current running? Um, mix of the two. Yeah. It's, it's usually here. We're usually like hitting high spots underwater or, you know, like a, a nice ledge um, and, and just trying to find ones with good bait moving back and forth and some current is yep. kind of the, the go-to. And you're dangling a flasher, working a flasher up and down. Are you diving in a group? Are you getting down, holding bottom time? What's your sort of go-to? Uh, it kind of depends. I'd say, I mean, we don't go like crazy with flashers here. I usually take a throw flasher and it's, it's, I don't know that it's super necessary for our yellowtail here, but it, uh, it often keeps me entertained when I got nothing else going on. I'm not seeing anything. I'll just keep tossing the flasher. Keeps <laughs> me focused a little bit longer. Um, but you know, I've kind of had every strategy work. Sometimes, sometimes I'm finding them on the like cruising the bottom on some days. So, so it's you know going down and just hanging in one spot on the bottom and hoping for them to swim by. Um, other days, it is working that flasher. I've also had a lot of success with I carry a. Uh, white rash guard and I'll throw a white rash guard over my wetsuit. And oh, okay. Some, some That's different. Big, bright beacon underwater for him. What do you call yakka over there? Do you have yakka? I don't even know what that is. Mm, got to Google that. Thorough bait we find down here, and you quite often get yellowtail around them. In New Zealand, it's um, kawai or koheru. Uh, oh, uh, maybe it is. Is it mackerel? Yeah, is it, it looks like a jack mackerel, or I can't. I'm terrible with fish names sometimes. I just um, looks like it's a scad. Um, so I don't. We don't have those here, but we've got. You know, the the bait we're most often looking for is mackerel. If you if you find mackerel, it's usually a good spot. And slimy um, mackerel, any specific one? Just just small mackerel. Uh, we get like uh, several types of mackerel here. We get Spanish mackerel and Pacific mackerel, and that might be it. Spanish I'm mackerel. I'm not great with my bait fish. I just Sp- know they're mackerel. Spanish mackerel in Australia is um, like king mackerel in the states. So. Oh yeah, yeah the 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 big ones. No, we don't get those. It's uh, yeah, we yeah. Call them, or I think guys call them Spanish max. I don't know. 
don't quote me on this. I'm terrible. Bait fish. I know mackerel. Everyone's melt. That's it. That's about as far as I go with my bait fish species. Everyone's apart from like hardcore fish fish nerds, and then like I'm, I'm like flat out like I don't even know some of the broader family names and stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so yeah, you, yeah. Like you, I I quickly seem like an idiot. But um, bait yeah. seems to be a very nuanced thing. Some people are very good at paying attention to bait in particular, and then mm-hmm. it can unlock a whole bunch of knowledge because you you can recognize patterns and you can predict sort of conditions and you know what yeah. what the fishing is going to be like, what's going to be around. I'm not good at it yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I'm I'm paying attention, looking for scales missing on the back and stuff. Mm. That, you know, they might have been getting hammered recently. Yeah, the uh, the other funny one too is we have a fish here we call a half moon, and they're uh, they look like something that'd be in like a fish tank. They're like blue on the front with like a yellow tail, and they're like they're that big, and they they're bait fish, but like nothing eats them that I know of. I'm sure something does, but like none of the game fish seem to target these guys. But for whatever reason, like we myself and a handful of dive buddies, I'm not sure if this is a widespread thing or just us, but. That's like our go-to for looking for yellowtail is we'll ah. find these big schools of these guys and they'll just sit over high spots. And then we just work the edges of those schools. And for whatever reason, it seems to be kind of a, a yellowtail highway where they, they don't ever go in and feed on those guys, but they'll just cruise by them. So. I, I don't know if this is correct, but I always call them indicator species because yeah, yeah. It, it's an indication to me that – it's likely that something else is around. Like in New Zealand, I exactly. observe the stuff called like eelgrass or um, mm-hmm. someone else calls it something similar, slimy weed or something like that. Um, yeah. And that that's always a, a, a sign or a telltale to me that um, southern rock lobster are going to be around. Um, oh, nice. It's cool when you start to recognize some of the stuff or at least when you think you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah and then, then you realize eventually just how wrong you are. Yeah, yeah. I would love to get over and see – um, Southern, well, actually, all of California, but Southern California, um, just the spiny rock lobster night, night diving alone just looks like really cool. It's it's pretty epic here. It's uh, yeah, we've got a lot of good terrain for it. Um, and again, too, for us in winter, that's that's kind of the only thing we've got. It's that, or you know, there's there's still a handful of reef species that hang out all year round, but all the big fish are gone for winter. Shrek, my dude, you're killing it on the Noob Spiro podcast. Every guest you get on frosts on the spearing life and the actionable info is off the chain. Over here at Spearing Magazine HQ, it's the same, buddy. So many Noobers are submitting their adventures, lessons learned, and pictures here at SpearingMagazine.com. Just wanted to say that uh, Noobers can get an international subscription here at SpearingMagazine.com. They can also check out our In the Face Apparel or getting a subscription to the world's greatest spearing magazine. Check it out at spearingmagazine.com. Shrek, thanks. Love what you're doing. Jeremy out. Killfish with precision and power, sending shafts from a stable platform with Killshot spear guns. Made in the Florida Keys by Ed Martin, you're buying American-made dependable spear guns. Get $30 off any Killshot spear gun at killshotspearguns.com. Yes and amen, Nuba. That's $30 off. American-made performance spear guns at killshotspearguns.com. It says if they're in the shop or on the phone, they can cash in by saying, Crikey, mate, or the Noob Spiro podcast sent me. 
Check them out at killshotspearguns.com, based in the Florida Keys. Salt and water make for a deadly combination when it comes to dive gear. That's why you need to visit oldmanblue.com.au. They use the finest in materials and they make stuff to last. They use 316 marine grade stainless steel in their loops and they source their materials and make their own stuff right there in Western Australia. Catch bags, cray loops and more. Visit oldmanblue.com.au. Check it out. Memorable fish for you. We've already talked about the marlin. What about for you as another standout? Yeah, the, the marlin was a, you know, Obviously, the big one. Um, Sometimes it's the one that gets man. away as well. I'm prepared yeah, to listen to that well, stuff. <laughs> that's where I was just going to go with it. It's uh, so before the marlin, I uh, I was diving in South Africa and had had a strong desire to take a billfish, and you know I'd never seen one to that point in my life. Um, and I, I just met some local guys my age, and I was you know hostel surfing in uh, in Durban a couple of guys offered to take me out and I was like, yes, let's do it. And so I had only brought like a small gun that was, you know, easy to pack around Africa with me. So one of the guys loaned me a, a Rabatech 130 and we jump in at a spot and I'm like, just load the gun for the first time, get the first band loaded. And I just monster sailfish comes cruising in and I'm like, Oh man. And I'm like, I don't even know if it's legal to take these in South Africa. I'm assuming it is because it's Africa and everything's legal. But <laughs> I'm like, I shout at the boat. I'm like, there's a sailfish. And you know, the captain, shoot it. Shoot it. <laughs> and, uh, so I'm like, okay. And I'm like, load the second band and the gun just misfires. And I'm oh. like, oh, no. oh. So I'm like, I'm scrambling. I'm still the only one in the water. Like, get the shaft back in the gun. Get, get a band loaded. And the fish comes like sailing or like cruising by for a second pass and i'm like oh man i'm not gonna get another chance at this and uh so i drop down take this shot like right through both gill plates plenty of penetration with the one band i'm like sweet and then this thing just takes off and uh again <laughs> diving little crab float <laughs> and uh yeah this thing's running hard unlike my marlin so i get to the surface and i'm putting a lot of pressure on it and it's I mean, it, it didn't last very long, but it was probably towing me for 30 seconds and I'm just getting dunked and, um, Water skiing. and yeah, the, uh, it put so much torque. It actually broke the flopper off the shaft and oh, came off wow. and I lost it. And I was like, Oh man. So that was one of those just kind of gut wrenching heartbreaks of a fish loss. And, and the guys I was diving with said they, they almost never see him even there. And none of them had ever shot one. And I was like, man, what talk about beginner's luck. You struck on a really interesting point there that's it's very hard to quantify or talk about because experience informs it all. How much tension to put on a fish when you're playing it? Oh, well, that that was clearly too much. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, at the, at the time, it's like I just – I was obviously not experienced with big fish. I mean, that, was, that would have been by far the biggest fish I'd landed at the time. Um, and I, I just did not understand the power fish like that could put on it. And it's like – Looking back, like the sailfish, he probably would have ran on the surface. We probably could have just chased that crab float down the boat and, you know, got a second shot in it. But it's like, I mean, yeah, my experience at the time did not allow me to piece all that together. Um, but yeah, and uh, it's also a good good lesson to just have the right gear for what you're hunting because I was definitely not with the right gear. Yeah, but you wouldn't be either. And it sounds like those local guys wouldn't be either because they're not used to seeing them. So yeah. 
And yeah. uh, I've come across this a few times. Heard about guys shooting sailfish with their with their standard sort of reef gun setup. And um, mm-hmm. but uh, but playing a fish is is a hard one. Like um, you can definitely put too much fish, uh, pressure on a fish. Then you can put no pressure on, and then the flopper closes, and then just yeah. the shaft pulls through. Um, or you know, like the soft flesh fish, you just it just tears right through if you put too much tension on. And there's exactly. this real. It's it's so informed by experience, you know. Like um, I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to shooting a dog tooth and seeing what that does. I mean, I've talked to so many people that have done it. I really need to get in there and and, and have an opportunity to do it. But until you've done something, you can talk as much as you want. I don't know. The experience is a is a powerful teacher, particularly with playing fish. I think. Yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta get Forrest back on if he's got some time and uh, hear his recent dog tooth stories. He just you know spent. So I think five weeks down in Papua New Guinea, and uh, we've got Ooh. some some interesting stories from those. But I'll let him tell those. I saw one of his videos on um, Instagram recently about, and he was in a cave full of skulls. I was like, whoa! Yeah, he's he, he's always doing crazy stuff. He's an interesting character to follow. He's, he'd be an interesting yeah. man to be friends with as well. I'd imagine. Yeah, definitely. What about toughest situations? Something that scared you, or something something where you were profoundly impacted and maybe changed something about the way you dive? Yeah. Um, man, I guess I've, I've had, uh, my share of those luckily nothing too bad that I'd say probably like the, the funniest one looking back now that, now that I am fine, um, was pretty new into diving. I was, uh, you know, only added a couple of years and my now wife, um, was on our triathlon team at school and, she had only ever swam in pools. So she was terrified of open water swimming, like lakes, ocean, no, and had a big triathlon coming up with a lake swim. And so I was like, you know, use that as my end and like, hey, come come in the ocean with me. I'll teach you how to swim. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I took her diving and like in just in a bay, it was, you know, like calm and protected to kind of get her used to it. And excuse me, I was messing around doing drops down to the bottom just kind of practicing while she was getting comfortable. And, uh, it was, it was just filthy murky water. And I went down and got myself tangled in some like just old fishing gear. And it was one of those, like, had it happened like now in my career, like I probably, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but at the time I just, you know, like did the worst thing you could do and just kind of squirmed and panicked and tried to tear myself free and just got more tangled. And it, uh, you know, it was some, it was some pretty heavy braided line and there was a bunch of it. And it was just one of those things that like, I wasn't breaking it. So it's the only time in my life I've had, you know, at the time I didn't have a dive watch, but I'm sure it was way over my average depth hold. And like, it's the only time again, I've also dumped my weights coming up and hit the surface and this, you know, girl I'm trying to impress is sitting there going, what, what's going on? I'm like, oh, nothing. I'm fine. I'm fine. Like, oh, trying, wow. trying not to let the panic show on my face. You know, I'm like, I, uh, I think I, like, I'm not sure, but I think that was the only time I've ever experienced a samba too. I think I had a little loss of motor control, but like, luckily didn't didn't black out and uh, managed to even go back and get my weights. So, yeah, the, <laughs> probably not highly that recommended. Real, real messy situation, and yeah. I didn't tell her till years later. Far out. I am. Um, I was chatting with a, a mate in New Zealand a while ago on the podcast, but he he um, had a story where he got um, uh, a big yellowtail, like 30 kilo, like 70 pounds, 
Um, basically, his mono line shooting line got wrapped around his leg, and it just started dragging him for the bottom after he had shot it at mm-hmm. depth. And um, anyway, nearly drowned him and nearly killed him. He got home, never told his wife anything. Um, months later, she was reading one of his articles in the spearfishing magazine, <laughs> and he submitted uh, that story, and she was like, you know, livid. So shout out oops. to Pat Swanson about that. I remember that one. Um, yeah. It's it's wild that you say that. I've actually uh, – I had a buddy I watched the exact same thing happen to right in front of me, and it was one of those – He, uh, I mean, it was probably only a 40-pound yellowtail and, like, shot it clear water, and I'm just, like, watching, seeing if, if any stragglers will come and follow it so I can plug one, and all of a sudden it just did that donuts around his legs and dove. And, he, like, I mean, it was like the fish meant to. And, yeah, I mean, he was trying to dolphin kick against it, and luckily for him, the fish tore off. Because, right. I mean, I, I was right there watching it and I'm like, I couldn't catch him going down and I don't, I don't know what I could have done to help. So it's, yeah, it was a, it was, it was real crazy to just see like a situation turn badly so quickly. And yeah, I, I still am always so cautious with real guns. Yeah. 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 I'm, down there when you're diving in kelp, reels must be something you, you guys are just all over. It, you know, it's. I almost never dive with one. I, okay. uh, I'm still a big fan of float lines. I just like reels are, it, there's just such big trade-offs for me. Like the reel is so nice until you shoot something here. And then like, it takes it through every bit yeah. of kelp and tangles all your reel line up. So it's like, I mean, I'm at the point too, where I like, I shoot a fish on a reel gun now. Like I just go cut my line, pull the fish up and <laughs> wind it back in and retie it. Oh yeah. 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 But yeah, they'll, they'll make a mess of, your equipment real fast on a reel. So. With that knot between your shooting line and your reel line, do you just do like mm-hmm. a quick release knot, like a looped? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then you just pull that, quick release, yeah. grab your – yeah, 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 nice. Yeah, I do the same thing because half the time like you get your – you can't pull your flopper back through the head or whatever anyway, so exactly. it's super handy to just be able to just pull that line, yeah. throw it on the boat what and is- then – especially over here we're shooting slip tips decently often for hunting sea bass and like because they're just so soft fleshed and so it's like yeah i mean you you get that there's a fish's head and you're you're just never getting your slip tape back through it's just not happening and that's probably a good shot location isn't it for them if they are soft yeah 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 if you can get through the head i mean as long as you know you've got the punch they've got thick skulls so as long as you know you can you know get all the way through it that's a that's a real nice shot do they have like really cool otoliths in them? Yeah. Yeah, the the biggest I've seen in you know any species of fish I've bothered to take them out of. Yeah, okay. Have you got any would, have you kept any around? I was going to say I should pull some out, but I don't think I have any in your bag. Yeah, all good. Uh, we we've we got a fish here. It's not related in any way, but the way it behaves and swims and moves, it's called a jewfish um mm. or a mulloway. Um, yeah, yeah, and and I don't know if you're familiar. I'm, I've seen pictures. I've never never been anywhere where I had the opportunity to hunt them. But in they, South Africa, I mean, they look basically the same. You would have seen Daga salmon in South Africa. Uh, I didn't actually see any. Okay. I I was hoping to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, never never saw them. They're another fish that have those really cool ear bones that um mm-hmm. are like jewels. People call them, but um yeah. Yeah, I would look. Your, at, I wonder. Your, I was curious. Uh, fish, do they do the same like croaking? Yeah, underwater. Yep. Like the, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty cool when you're in the middle of like 
a school of big ones in like the middle of mating season. It's just it like sometimes like it's so loud you you're just your whole body shakes. You oh, know, I, like I've vibrations. Ex- I've an experience that I, I've I've heard them croaking and I I've heard about more, but I I haven't. It's not like in saying that I've never been in the middle of a like a, a, a stag. You know, like the mating season, the roar or whatever we call it here. Like, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. there's there's something primordial about those sounds that resonates with you on a deeper level. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, it's yeah. definitely unreal. It's mm. it's another one of those things you just you can't really describe to people who you know like who haven't ever heard it. Yeah, it's, a, it's a unique one. Let's get into your dive bag. So, you pretty much designed a most of spearfishing gear. It sounds like you haven't tried fins. I, I have not, you know, I got some, some samples from some manufacturers and, uh, you know, it was just one of those things I just never, like, I just tend to get really obsessed with something when I dive into it. And it just, again, there were a lot of people making really good stuff. And it was like, I just, I don't have any knowledge base down this road. Like I, I have a fundamental understanding of composites and, but not to the point where like, like I just have never studied what goes into a good kick and like it was just it was a, a rabbit hole I, I didn't want to go down, so I kinda pulled myself out of before I got too far into that one. When you studied engineering, do do they have like common archetypes of innovators? Like, for example, some people I've talked to say like you find a good product and then you find mm-hmm. one small way to improve that product, and then all of a sudden you've got another product. Um, it's, it's, it's borrowing clever and existing knowledge and then just adding something to it that makes it even better. Then there's other people that think, and they reimagine something from the ground floor. And I'm just, I'm just thinking my way through like innovation. Like some people have a cool idea and start with nothing. They don't model off anything. Other people borrow things from one industry and then apply it to another. Did, did you think about that much and, and what school do you belong to? Oh man. Um, I like to think I kind of, you know, dabble in both. Um, I'd say I'm definitely kind of always looking for inspiration in other fields and just across day-to-day life. Uh, so I, I think I draw on a lot of that, you know. Mm. I spent a lot of time working in the in the medical device world okay. and doing like surgical instruments. And our joke was kind of always, you know, when, when we need a new idea, like let's go walk the aisles at Home Depot. So, <laughs> look at look at all the power tools so it's uh <laughs> you know it's it's like a lot of a lot of both like i love it when you know i come up with something just completely out of the blue but uh, again every time i kind of try to do that in spearfishing i tried a lot of really wacky ideas and uh they, they just never panned out to anything so i think mm. I think I had more success with like the roller muzzle you know it was like i definitely didn't invent the roller muzzle but i think at the time, I, I made it a lot better and a lot more reachable for a lot of people, I guess. The problem with some of the coolest inventions in spearfishing is you're trying to bring about a really unique product offering in a very small market, and you're trying mm-hmm. to serve a very affluent, extremely niche yeah. portion of a very small market. So it's hard to bring yeah. some of these things to, to life. Like I, it, It's I, real hard. I had an idea to have a float. And basically, it's got like a GPS in it, and you wear something on your body 
That way you can dive with a real gun and the float's got like a Minn Kota type engine in it and it just follows you around on the surface. So it's always positioned directly above you. You know, but who's going to bring that to life, you know, like. Yeah. But. um, Yeah, that's that's what we we go back to like my uh, discussion earlier about the float is it's just that that'd be an awesome product, but I don't know that you'll ever recoup your (laughs) R&D. No, uh, you won't. That's why sometimes I just tell my ideas to anyone who'll listen in the hope that, because ideas are free until you actually do something about it. And then once you've done something about it, you've got to protect it because you've spent, you spend so much time bringing these things to life. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's again too, even like even pursuing a a patent for a spearfishing product, it's like, it's yeah. one of those, I mean, a, a good patent attorney and a good utility patent is going to end up costing you tens of thousands of dollars to protect it, especially internationally. And it's like, okay, like how, how many years of sales is that going to take to recoup on a spearfishing item? So it's, it's like, it's hard to even go chase protection on something that you might think is a, a you know, valuable, innovative idea. I was talking to Paul Rodriguez this morning from Hot Rod Spear Guns, Mm -hmm. and we were talking about this exact same thing, like um, protecting your IP is just um, such a battle because you've got to enforce your um, your patent as well. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Man, I I hope we haven't lost your uh, talents from the spearfishing world indefinitely um, because we need more innovators. We need more people making cool shit. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully not. You know, like, uh, I don't know. I guess if, if anybody hears this and is in need, in need of design help or work, I, it's something I love to do, and I'm always, yeah. uh, you know, available for that. I, the problem is half the companies, like you said, you know, the the biggest spearfishing companies in the world are like five guys in a in a, a small warehouse. So it's, yeah, it's a small industry. There's something too about like being together because it's like. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about when you when you're working for one company. I think it's hard to keep everyone on the same page going in the same direction and stuff as well. Like when you're a one man band, like, you know, being disruptive is easy when there's, yeah. as soon as you hit that size where there's like a whole group of you that you have to convince to go in a certain direction. That's why I think people like the physical presence thing, but COVID has um, yeah, forced a lot of people to think differently about it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. COVID has definitely opened up, you know, a lot of the world to the, the value and, and ability of remote work. So it's, I guess, small silver lining. Got a sweet deal for you today, guys. Go to freedivingfamily.com and learn from Adam Stern and a select team of experts on different disciplines. There's Frenzel, Advanced Frenzel and Hands-Free Equalization, Mouthful, Deep Frenzel Equalization, Bifinning Essentials. These are courses that will give you the 1% that will allow you to improve. Use the code SPIRO to get 20% off any course at freedivingfamily.com. Again, that's the code SPIRO to get 20% off at freedivingfamily.com. Thanks, Adam and team. Love it. Today's podcast is brought to you by Killshot Spear Guns. Ed Martin makes dependable, reliable, simple spear guns that you can rely on. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. But it's not just me saying it. Have a listen to what this bloke's got to say about it. Well, I just love Ed Martin's kill shot spear guns. They just shoot fish all day long. But it's not just the Americans saying it. He's even sold some spear guns in the UK. That's right, Shrek. I just love a kill shot spear gun. I've been shooting bass and all sorts of cod and pollock and God knows what down here in the lock and around and 
the end of my accent, but uh, yeah, I love kill shot spear guns. Keep them coming, Ed. And uh, even the Australians are getting in on it. Ed makes a quality, reliable uh, platform. Have a listen to what um, Stu had to say when I got hold of him last time. Oh, gee, Shrek, I got on to bloody kill shot spear guns last time. I heard you gobbing on about them on the podcast. And I just got on. I wanted a reliable, uh, bloody uh, tough spear gun. So I got on kill shot. I saved. I used the code, the bloody uh, noob code there, the nooba, and on killshotspearguns.com. Got myself an American bit of uh, timber spear gun. And jeepers, mate, this thing is shooting crocs. I'll... Oh, this it's so bloody good, mate. Uh, don't don't listen to me about the crocs, say it's illegal. But I do like to shoot the odd bearer. <laughs> Get onto him. Get into him. I'm out. See you, mate. You didn't just hear it from me. Buy American-made performance at KillshotSpearGuns.com. Get thirty dollars off any spear gun when you use the code Nuba on KillshotSpearGuns.com. Let's head into our last sort of two rounds of questions, if that's all right. So we mm-hmm. we started on your dive bag. Um, we didn't get very far. So head to toe. What are you wearing oh, yeah. on your on your on your Channel Islands weekly dives? You know, wetsuit. Typically here, I'm, I pretty much wear a five mil wetsuit all year round. Because um, like some guys can get away with thinner ones in summer, and a lot of guys wear thicker ones in winter. But I just get can't stand the thicker ones because you just lose too much mobility. So I kind of just stick five mil all year round. Um, so then weight belt knife. Kind of standard. All depending on what I'm hunting, like if I'm hunting halibut, I'll, I'll wear a waist stringer, and then you know, like as I shoot them, I'll just put them on my waist. Um, for bigger fish, I'll usually just swim them back to the boat or the beach or whatever. Um, yeah, and then uh, I use uh, some Scorpio carbon fiber fins mm. in um, Pathos foot pockets. Yep. Uh, I've got. I don't remember what kind of mask I wear. Just one that fits. Dive mask and a. Standard J snorkel, nothing fancy there. And then I shoot, you know, mantis guns. That's best. I got a lot of them. So have you still got? Right. Have you still um, got inventory? Have you? What's up? Have you still got a fair bit of inventory left? Have you? Yeah, a decent amount. I'm actually like, I'm, I'm having a hard time now. We're, you know, clearing out some stuff at the house. I'm like, do I like do I just ditch this? Because I've I've had a couple of kids, and I'm like, does anybody want this stuff? So it's. Yeah, we'll see. See where yeah. that goes. Send but. it through to me with some pictures. I'll put it in today's show notes. So if people want to yeah. buy some of your remaining inventory from Mantis Spearfishing, they can go to noobspear.com forward slash Mantis. I'll put a bunch of photos and links up. Um, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, and then we'll help you clear out the last of your yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, so for me, it's it's pretty much always rail guns, you know, even before I was selling my own, and that's, that's kind of a unique thing, I'd say, in kind of the California dive community. If we've got a real problem with guys that just want to shoot these giant wood monstrosities, and yeah, you just don't need them. And it's like I, I can kind of see the argument. I finally, finally dove in and bought my first just monster tuna cannon for a bluefin here. But outside of that, you don't need anything more than a real gun. Yeah, yeah. I was talking with uh, Captain Bly as well earlier this morning. Mm-hmm. He's not mm-hmm. too far from you, and he's a big fan of his timber spear guns. And I get, yeah. I, 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 I can, I can kind of see and understand everyone's school of thoughts. There's nothing yeah. like poking around with a small rail gun for just for tracking and for. Um, oh, it's, I mean, well, that's that's every time I 
borrow a friend's wood gun or take one out to try it out. I'm just like, how do you move this thing through the water? What do you guys do with these? (laughs) Two hands, just two hand maneuvering everywhere. Well, and that's right. We end up having lots of, lots of mid handle guns. And I'm like, I see why you need the mid handle. It's the only way you can swing this big old thing. Yeah. There, there's, um, there's, it's everyone has a strong opinion, but it's, it's, it's a little bit like religion or politics, I think. All right. Yeah. yeah, we have the you could you could argue all day over here with reels versus bullet lines too. That's for sure. That's a constant. I think yeah. that that good conversations to have as long as like you just like treat the person like it's just an opinion. Like it's a bit of gear we use. Oh, like yeah. who gives a shit? Yeah. Like as long as you know and understand why you like what you like, then all good by, by all means. Um, Spiro Q and A, faster paced round of questions to head on out. You ready? All right, let's do it. If you had to start spearfishing all over again, what would you do differently? Oh man, I think I'd find somebody or at least try to find somebody that was a lot more experienced to dive with a lot earlier on because I did, you know, most of the diving just by myself when I was starting because there weren't a lot of guys in the area that I knew that were doing it. Yeah, nice. nice. And I, I, yeah, I just think that's the fastest way to learn is dive with somebody better than you. Do you think joining a club is a fast way to do that, to find someone? I think it can be. Um, I've, I've seen mixed things in clubs here. It's like there, there seems to be a lot of ego. I think, yeah. I think we have a sport that's just prone to ego. Cause it's, you know, kind of badass. you know, well, or, that, that's <laughs> so why, that's like, why we called our thing noob Spiro. Cause there's no ego involved. Yeah. We're always noobs. Yeah. And, you know, like well, as, as long as you can find the guys and kind of get away from that, I think it's, it can be a great resource. Who is the best person to go spearfishing with and why? And you can name someone specifically. Oh man. Um, I, yeah, I'd have to say Forrest for me. It's just, like I said earlier, it's like he and I always have a good time wherever we go. Um, I've got another buddy just like that. His name's Brett. And we just, you know, like he's he's kind of newer to diving, but he and I just, you know, are on the same level as far as what we want to do and that we're just out there to have fun. So it's, yeah, those, those kind of guys are my favorites. What current challenges do you face in your spearfishing and how are you approaching them? Oh, current challenges is probably just, finding enough time to get in the water um so yeah i don't know and and pushing myself it's i guess the other big one is california it's real easy to 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 be a good diver in california and not anywhere else because we've got some awesome spearfishing but we just got big dumb slow fish that are just curious and like yeah you don't have to dive deeper than 30 feet to shoot anything in california so oh wow um it's just real good place to get lazy with your diving. So like I've got a trip coming up in a couple of months to Hawaii and I'm like, man, I gotta get my breath hold back in shape. Cause, <laughs> cause I, I cannot dive in Hawaii right now. Every time I go somewhere like that, it's so humbling. Cause it's like, man, my breath hold sucks. I've been thinking recently about, about breath hold and about comfort mm-hmm. and depth. I think a lot of it comes down to diaphragm flexibility. And I, and I mean, the intercostal muscles and all that sort of stuff. I think if your chest feels, um, if it's flexible, you can fill it up. And then if you feel yeah. full when you're at 60 feet or whatever your depth is you're going to, it makes a huge difference because a lot of it's just mental, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's that's definitely the name of the game. Hmm. Breath hold diving is just overcoming your your own thoughts. You know, it's, it's your brain telling you you need to go back up and breathe. Yeah. Shout out to howtofreedive.com. They've got this thing, and they sponsor the podcast as well, so 
there's, mm. there's my disclaimer. Um, they have a guided 30-day training program um, to get you to fi- a five-minute static again. And it's not. it doesn't completely relate to spearfishing. You're not going to jump in the water and do five minutes. But if you're an experienced diver and you have trouble sticking to a dry training regimen, I personally think mm. it's really good for a trip, aiming up at a trip, because it's just like – Every day you have these exercises and tables that you follow. Bang, 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 you do it. There's, and, and within a month, you're back to kind of where you were. Like it doesn't fully that's, cross over, yeah. but it's better than nothing. So That's really nice. I'll, I'll have to check that out because that's that's the problem I have by far is like just just sticking to it. It's like yeah. I'll, I'll get in like a good week of following yeah. my static tables and then it's – and I just kind of taper off. And it's like, oh, and then like I forget about it. And then I get to Hawaii and I'm like, God damn, I didn't I, yeah, why didn't yeah, I stick yeah. to it? Why didn't I stick to it? Yeah. I think um Adam Stern and a few of the other guys have got like really good stretching exercises too that you can follow along on YouTube. But you'll be real careful with them. Again, you want experience because you know how far to stretch before something breaks. Yeah. Because you can do squeezes mm-hmm. and all sorts of crazy shit, just dry training. Um yeah, that's good. I haven't been diving for four four months either, so I'm scratching my own itch when we're talking about this stuff. I've just been too flat out, so I can relate to your situation. Last question, though. Kevin, could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence? Nice, easy one. I think for me, it's it's uh, it's how I find my inner peace. Yeah, nice. That's good. Yeah, I always, That's not too, hip, too hippie. No, nah, man, I always, I always sell it to people as like active mindfulness for like, you know, physical people um so yeah, it's awesome. i think uh like when when i'm not there or like when i go and kind of long hiatuses from the ocean i get i get grumpy man it's like that's, me too me too that's where i go down wine that's uh that's my stress relief so yeah you got to fill up somewhere man um mm-hmm. yeah get some good stuff in your soul um all right, if people go to noobspirit.com forward slash mantis even though mantis doesn't exist anymore we're going to shout out to kevin's uh kevin's company there so, uh, Kevin, Glenn, uh, where can people contact you? Because I'll link that up in the show notes as well. You know, I still have uh, my Instagram is still mantis.spearfishing. Um, so I haven't, I haven't pulled that down yet. So I'm kind of just using it as my personal Instagram now. Um, so that's, that's probably the easiest. Okay, cool. All right, so mantis.spearfishing. I'll link that up in today's show notes, noobspear.com forward slash mantis. And I'll get some photos up there, some inventory if you've got some stuff that you want to move, cool. Kevin. And, yep. um, man, it's been awesome to get you on the podcast. Great to hear the other side of some of Forrest's stories. <laughs> yeah. All good. And uh, try to make make a trip out here, and we'll go uh, get you out to our local Channel Islands and show you some California diving. I would appreciate that, and I will take you up on that 100% if I get over there. Cool. It's been on the list yeah. for so long, man. Um, obviously, yeah. COVID's disrupted it, but it's got to happen. Yeah. got to happen. All good, brother. Thanks again. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed uh, the former owner of, or owner operator of Mantis Spearfishing, Kevin Glenn. Very cool guy. As as I as I mentioned in the uh, intro, very wide ranging com- uh, conversation, and he's a very intelligent and thoughtful dude. So I really enjoyed chatting with him. I hope we can do it again in the future. But um, good news for me, guys, and good news for you if you're in New South Wales. I'm coming down. I will be trekking my way east. Uh, sorry, south along the east coast of Australia as of uh, Saturday with a good mate Cam and we're going to check in with a bunch of people, go diving, film a bunch of stuff, a couple of masterclasses for the people that 
back 99 Sparrow Recipes on the Kickstarter. And if you're hanging out for that book, it's nearly there, my friends. And jeepers, it looks good. Um, I'm super stoked. I'm really going to be really I'm proud as punch once we start pumping these things out the door to you guys. Um, for the people that um, have backed us, thank you very much. And for all the people that um, power the Noob Sparrow podcast at patreon.com forward slash Noob Sparrow, thanks to you guys too. That's what's paying for this trip for me to head south, do a live interview in the Adreno um, Sydney store. And you're going to hear that audio in the next coming weeks of the podcast. It'll be my trip south with Cam uh, headed down to Sydney and enjoying the spearing along the way. Um, As usual, guys... um, share the podcast with a couple of mates two mates pick two mates tell them about the noob spirit podcast they might not know what a podcast is you might have to download it and show them i appreciate it the podcast grows and this thing keeps humming along thanks and uh thanks for supporting our sponsors too guys all good shrek out Today's episode was an absolute banger, and so is our major sponsor, Adreno. Visit them at adreno.com.au. They have a huge range of equipment. You can find it at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear at checkout. When you shop online, you can save $20 on every purchase over $200. You can even use that code in-store at some of their huge mega stores Australia-wide. Price be guarantee on any Australian spearfishing equipment price. Again, visit them at adreno.com.au. Use the code NoobSpear. Neptonics.com source the very best in spearing gear from around the planet. Jerry says, if we sell it, we believe in it, we trust it and dive it. Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all your spearfishing essentials. Neptonics is solid gear that works, and you'll know it's true when you pull the trigger on a Neptonics mech. On every snap of a Neptonics power band and in every whiz of a Neptonics spear gun reel, singing with the power of another big fish. Buy gear you can depend on at neptonics.com. Use the code NOOB10 to save 10%.